You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Heavenly Father, as we gather now, uh, as always, be in the midst of us. Um, We give you thanks for this opportunity to gather today, this Sunday, which we remember as Palm Sunday. Your... um, your triumphal entry uh, into Jerusalem and your laying down your life um, for us, your sheep, willingly, laying it down. uh, And uh, we give thanks that we will celebrate this coming Sunday uh, that you took it up again and that the powers of sin and death, which constantly rage against us, are defeated by the sufficiency of your blood once and for all. Fill our hearts and our minds with the reality of this, ultimately as the means of our salvation, but draw our hearts and our minds to this also by its power um, in our lives today. This we ask, this we offer in the name of your Son, who is Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. So we're talking about Tao Prince. I've got another friend um, who sort of similarly is very honest and transparent about his sins, his struggles, his transgressions, his weaknesses, and I can remember, uh, I wasn't there for it, but I listened to it, uh, and what made me think of it is is blood, Um, and he was talking about a particular area of struggle in his life, which for for him was same-sex attraction, that's, that was his, um, I guess we all probably have more than one besetting sin, right, we've got, we have a whole catalog of them, but that was kind of his thing in particular, and he was talking about and I thought, you know, this is so accurate. Um, and But he was talking about, he said, you know, for years I, I thought that Jesus' blood was sufficient for my salvation. Uh, he said, I, I, I was convinced that Jesus' blood and the power of Jesus' blood was sufficient for my salvation. But he said, I didn't think it was sufficient to address this area of my life. And I thought that was, a, that was an important note for us to think about. And, and granted, you and I... We don't graduate this side of the Jordan. We always, we, we, we struggle. Um, and, and we experience our, our weakness and our limitations. And that's a lot of what we've been, uh, ref- more than just that, but we've been reflecting on the sufficiency of Jesus and our weaknesses and our limitations. But I thought that was a, you know, really honestly a simple and yet a profound insight to say that he, you know, for so long thought the power of Jesus' blood was sufficient for his salvation but not to help to address particular struggles and trials which he experiences in his life. And so, uh, to some degree, I, I, I hadn't planned on saying that, but I, but I offer that up this morning um, as something for us to reflect on, the, the power of Jesus' blood uh, and the way, particularly as, again, Palm Sunday. I, I don't know, but I'll just ask you all, um, uh, well, because some of you all probably went to the nine and some of you may... Uh, have not gone yet to to the eleven. Palm Sunday, of course, is one of those powerful Sundays. It it leaves me um, it leaves me a little quiet, um, just reflecting, absorbing. This isn't the first time that I've gone through the Palm Sunday liturgy. It's not the first time, but I don't know about you, but it always leaves me a little um, uh, re- reflective, uh, a little uh, a little quiet. Um, I, I guess uh, sort of graciously come in graciously rattled um yeah hey hey how are you 
So today we are picking up in the 8th chapter of Mark's Gospel, Mark chapter 8, and we'll see um, sort of uh, time-wise, we, we have about 30 minutes today, um, and uh, we'll, we'll reflect uh, uh, be beginning there, and then, we'll, and then we'll move forward. Let me say, um, and it's, it's great that it falls on Palm Sunday because what we're, what we're experiencing here in Mark's Gospel, and of course at the very end of the service today we read from the 15th chapter of Mark's Gospel, uh, Jesus' Jesus's crucifixion. But we have in chapter 8 and chapter 9 of Mark uh, a distinct turning point. Uh, there, there's, there's, a distinct, there's a distinct turning point, just like you and I experience um, in our lives at different times, distinct turning points where you, you know, kind of a BC and an AD, you had life before and you have life after a, a particular event or a particular relationship, a particular experience, encounter. We, I don't know about you, but I can sort of think about my life and think there, you know, there, there are significant moments that, that marked transition that I can go back and I can point to those. And this is a decisive shift in the Gospel of Mark. Jesus has been traveling um, in an in, in itinerant way uh, amongst uh, the Jews and also amongst the Gentiles. Um, uh, and with Peter's confession, and, and Peter speaks for the group, uh, with, with Peter's confession of Jesus as the Christ, as the Messiah, and Jesus' transfiguration before them, we, we have a decisive shift as Jesus is, is focused in making his way toward Jerusalem. And, and you may remember in Luke's gospel, there's a very specific language given. It talks about Jesus set his face, like basically in the, the language, he set his face like a flint um, toward Jerusalem. And so Jesus, in 8 and 9, we see that he sets his face toward Jerusalem. Um, uh, let's just real quick, though, uh, back in 7, 731. Then he returned to the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears and after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one, but the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear uh, and the mute speak. Uh, there will be uh, another um, There'll be another healing um, similar to this, um, similar to this coming up. But let me just ask y'all: what What is your reaction to that? Um, and it doesn't have to be particularly profound. Um, whatever your reaction to to that is. Well, I always focus on you know why he told them not to tell anybody, mm -hmm. and did he really mean for them not to yeah. tell anybody, or? Did he know that the more he told them not to, that they would? Yeah, I mean, yeah. You know, absolutely. It's point, but no, it's it's actually a significant uh, point. I appreciate Charles you're bringing it up. I mean, one of the things that we've, yeah, you know, we we say kind of jokingly, but you know, in Sunday school they told us to tell uh, about Jesus, and you know, here they're 
they're one of the things in Mark's gospel, they're regularly commanded to silence. There have been different answers given, as you might expect, and, and I think they're all accurate, but to some degree, one of the things that Edwards pointed out uh, in his commentary, uh, I think, is is the clearest and most true and accurate. In, in some instances, it's um, Jesus knows of the existing opposition and the opposition will build. Sometimes it's basically to, all right, we're going to keep things reasonably quiet for a little while longer while I go about, I have further work and ministry to do, and I realize the mounting not just antagonism, but hostility. So some degree it's, uh, it's, it's for the moment. In some instances, it's uh, the, the demons that Jesus commands to silence because obviously they're not going to be his spokespeople and his evangelists. But the thing, and actually this will really get, it's a great thing because we're really going to flesh this out some in what we're talking about this morning, is that um, one of the things that's distinct in Mark's gospel, according to Edwards, and again, I, I really believe him on this, is that Even the even the disciples, even Jesus's closest followers, aren't fully equipped and prepared to be his um, evangelist till they can understand him through the lens of the cross and the resurrection. It's not until they can understand him through that particularly challenging lens of seeing and understanding him as a suffering Messiah, um, that the Son of Man must suffer. And of course, we see that and uh, we'll see that soon as Peter. Um, rebukes Jesus and Jesus rebukes Peter when Jesus says the Son of Man must suffer and be be handed over. And I mean, one of the things that we see here, uh, and, and I, you know, it's funny, I, I'm curious y'all's take on this. I mean, listen, I, I like comfort, um, but uh, I, I don't, uh, it doesn't seem, uh, the, the more that we've reflected on it over the years, the, the reality of suffering in the Christian life does not make me sad. Um, uh, I just, uh, to some degree, as time goes on, you kind of see it like, well, of course, uh, of, of, of course, suffering is a part of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, uh, and not in any sort of capricious um, suffering, but but, uh, you know, but suffering is a part uh, of things. So that's one of the things which is often mentioned, um, and it's interesting too that he that he uh, in this instance pulls him, uh, takes him away from the crowd privately, um, and I. Uh, and this is Craig Smalley, so sip this, take it, leave it. Um, but I think there's an importance, um, you know, the, we talk about mob mentality, there's crowd mentality um, as, as well. Uh, when you're in a crowd, sometimes it's hard to think. Uh, it's hard to think for yourself and to think clearly. It's hard to speak or to speak clearly. I don't think it's insignificant that we see sometimes Jesus taking people out of the crowd. Um, I think one, so that they might think and hear and receive in a way that they they don't and we don't when we're swept up in crowd think um, and <laughs> crowd crowd sight. Um, but I think it's also we see here one of the things, um, we see this actually uh, repeatedly. One of the fascinating things we see happening is that um, Jesus touching people, um, Jesus touching people, people that would be considered by religious Jews unclean, but his pulling them apart, this desire for this relationship. Uh, it's, you know, we see this again and again, the desire not only that people might be healed, but that they might ultimately enter into a relationship and the importance of touch um, in, in that, the importance of, of connection. Because we've seen repeatedly, Jesus doesn't have to touch anyone. <laughs> he, can just, he can just say it 
um, and it's done. We've seen multiple instances where he's just said it, and the person wasn't even there. Um, he could say it to someone in well, Gadsden, um, and, you know, it just it, it, it happens because uh, he has that power and authority. But, yeah, it seems significant that he pulls him aside, that he touches him. Um, and that there's so much use of saliva involved. Yes. You know? I mean, in this one and in the next one. Absolutely, yeah. It, 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 exactly. What's with the saliva? <laughs> you know, like say if you're if you're blind or if you're deaf, your senses are more acute in different ways than people who have clear hearing and their sight. And it almost makes you think that that he's capitalizing on some of the other senses. I don't know. You know, it, and and interestingly, you you say that. I appreciate that, Emily, because. Um, one of the things, you know, it's it's not um, it's not an accident. I mean, this has been more and more impressed on me, and it probably should have been impressed on me decades ago. Um, how important it is reading the scripture. I mean, you know, and understandably, Sunday mornings we tend to have a little portion because obviously there's certain time limitations. We're not going to read the entire Gospel of Mark um, uh, and then and then preach from it. So, understandably, we have portions. But how important it is to read the portions in relationship with one another, where they where they land, what comes before, what comes after, the way that this particular portion that we're reading builds upon and or interprets or speaks to what's behind or before. And one of the things that we see happening here is that those, um, those who uh, cannot hear and those who cannot see often see more clearly and hear more clearly um, than those who are supposed to hear. Uh, and, and for, you know, case in point, we, we have the religious leaders which come out to Jesus who certainly have the head knowledge. Um, they, they certainly have heard in the sense that they have it memorized. I mean, they, could, they can quote scripture to you better, uh, better than, all, than all the rest. Um, so they know the drill and yet they haven't heard. Uh, and they've encountered Jesus and they haven't seen. Uh, and, and who are the ones who see? It's the Syrophoenician woman, uh, this woman from the hated Syrophoenicians. She sees in a way um, that the insiders uh, don't. Uh, and here's a person um, who, is, uh, who is deaf, who will hear and who will see um, more clearly. And even, you know, even the disciples um, we see because, all right, so here we have the feeding of the 4,000. And and it seems to be a unique instance. Some people have said, well, it's a couplet that goes with the feeding of the 5,000, but it's, uh, it's, it's, it's different. Um, well, let me read it, and then I want to ask all a few questions about this. But I mean, all of this, these comment on one another. Um, and so one of the things we see is that the people who should see don't see, and they don't hear. And the people, um, and actually, interestingly, when we get to the one where Jesus uh, heals the man's side, and if you remember... Um, the first thing he says is, do you see? Uh, and he says, well, I see, uh, but they're, uh, they're as trees walking. So it's like, I, I kind of sort of see, but not, um, but, but not really. And one of the things that's uh, pointed out is that it, this isn't a matter of sort of Jesus being limited. Well, I didn't try it the first time, but he got better the second um, round. In, in many ways, this is a commentary on Jesus's followers, how they are their sight increases with the touch of Jesus. Uh, it's it's a progressive. Their 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 sight and yours and my sight, uh, and yours and my clarity, progresses uh, by the continued interaction and the touch uh, and the touch of Jesus. In many ways, that that miracle and that healing is a commentary. Uh, that miracle is a commentary on faith. 
um, and, and discipleship. So now Jesus feeds the 4,000. In those days when again uh, a great crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from far away. And his disciples answered him, How can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And he asked them, How many loaves do you have? They said, Seven. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves. And having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. And they set them before the crowd, and they had a few small fish. And having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied. And they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full, and there were about 4,000 people, and he sent them away. And immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanutha. Um, uh, some things I want to comment on, but, but your, your, your reflections, your comments on this, if any. I'll tell you one of the first head scratchers for me, and, um, and maybe maybe I'll share this. Um, you know, th- well at least a Mark. Well, at least a Mark's gospel. You know, granted, um, this was in real time. I don't know how many chapters they were away in actual days and months, but um, you think, well, wait a minute. You just had the feeding of the five thousand. Um, how was it that they seem? completely flummoxed about what what's going to happen um that just i I had had difficulty uh i had difficulty understanding that was that maybe a reaction for some of y'all like well why don't you just say well jesus we know (laughs) we've we've seen something like this before um we 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 know that what you can do that was one of the things that first jumped out at me that i just thought i i don't get that 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 seems curious to me Absolutely, that's a Lee, that's a great point. In fact, that's uh, one of the things that uh, Edwards and, and and Schweitzer in their commentaries talk about the obduracy of the disciples. Um, and you know, it is so true of you and me. It's like God, you've done you've done so many things in my life again and again and again. Why am I why am I shocked? Why do I disbelieve that you might also? Um, yeah, how quickly we forget. And that that's one of the things too in the Gospels. I mean, the the miracles are important um, but one of the things that's so very important is because to some degree you can forget miraculous things you can explain miraculous things away Jesus had tremendous desire for teaching and not just head knowledge but a but a teaching that that le- leads to discipleship and to a relationship where it impacts our heads and it impacts our hearts and just for the spirit to begin its work in our lives because of the necessity um, of that relationship for us Sure, exactly. Yeah, man, and, and you know, it's funny, uh, whatever, a few Sundays ago when Zach preached on numbers, the the, um, the serpents in the wilderness, um, 
and that which Jesus references in John 3, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that he might draw the world to himself. Um, but it's, but it's, it's, it's a funny, well, I'm sure it wasn't funny for them, it's funny for us now, but it's kind of funny when one of the things it starts with is their grumbling, which often means more than just complaining, it means basically rejection of God. Um, and, uh, but they say, you know what, we have nothing to eat here. And then immediately on saying nothing, they say, we hate the food. (laughs) You're starving us. Well, actually, we just don't like the, it's like, you know, like when we're kids, I'm starving. There's nothing to eat. Here, eat this. No, Uh, it's like falling out. I can't. It just, it's so, I mean, it's it's saying in some ways it's much more, but in some ways it's almost humorous. I mean, how, you know, how quick we are um, to forget um, and how childish we can be. Any other things? Um, I've always been impressed with the fact that there was more than a God. Mm-hmm. Yes. I mean, not only did he feed 4,000 mm-hmm. people, but, you know, but there was food left over. Yeah. Yes. In, in, indeed. No, I really appreciate that, Brian. I mean, that is one of the things. I mean, that that stands out. You know, he provided, but he also provided more than enough. And I, I think this is part of the importance of our coming together as a community of faith. Um, you know, reading through the scriptures together, praying together, that because we all need to be reminded repeatedly um, of, of God's provision. And and that's not to say also, of course, that we don't go through times when <laughs> what. Things seem sparse, uh, and, and God also sometimes seems to put us through times where He turns up the heat on us, uh, and it's and it's challenging. You know that wonderful hymn, "Fear not, I am with thee. I only design thy dross to consume, and thy gold um, to refine." Um, one of the things that's interesting in this one is uh, different than the feeding of the five thousand. Jesus um, instigates this rather than the disciples. Remember, in in the feeding of the five thousand, they come to Him and say, "Hey." This is a rough neighborhood. This is a rough crowd. It's getting late. I think it's time for you to send them away. And that instance of Jesus turning up the heat, will you give them something to eat? But here we see that this is, Jesus is the one, um, the first actor. And, and interesting, it says, I have compassion. Jesus is telling his disciples, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And in the original language, there's a real significance to the words which are being used. One, the word for compassion, and this is just, this is like the Mr. Rogers portion, if you want, you can say it with me, um, splagnizomai um, is, is, is the word, um, and it's just one of those, it's a fun to say, um, but, but it, has a, it has a really specific meaning. I mean, compassion, you can think about, uh, compassion, you can think, oh, Josh, you know, I, I saw this commercial and I just felt compassionate, and that, you just think... That doesn't really move us very much, but this word splagnizomai means you're basically your entrails. Um, you're the, the core um, of, uh, of your being, um, your, your essential vital organs. In fact, um, when, when sacrifice was made, those offering sacrifice and the priests would eat this splagnizomai. They would eat the, you know, the, 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 the liver and the, and the heart and the, uh, and the kidneys. And so I'm so grateful to be a minister now uh, where that's not necessary as we come together and make offerings and sacrifices. But I mean, basically this compassion isn't just some Jesus felt the warmth toward them. He was moved from the core of his being 
Um, and, I, and I think that's a word for us to remember when we think about God's provision, that God, you know, granted, sometimes he's mysterious to us, sometimes he seems inscrutable, but one of the things we see revealed is that God is moved from the core of his being with compassion toward people. And here's an important point. He's moved with compassion toward people that he shouldn't necessarily be moved with that deep compassion. That, that compassion comes from him, not on the performance of the people. Uh, it's in the nature and the character of God rather than our performance that he's moved with this deep compassion for you um, and for me. And, and, and not only that, but when it says, um, they have been with me now three days, the, the word for they have been with me means more than just they've been physically present. It means basically they've been with him. Um, they've, they've just like you, you know, someone that you really love or whatever that you're like, you know what, I'm with you. And it means more than just I'm standing next to you. It means I'm with you. Uh, I'm basically in agreement um, with you. I, I'm in relationship with you. And so what we see here, and again, very likely now he's in Gentile territory, not in Jewish territory. And these people are with him. Um, and he's moved deeply with compassion um, for them. He's concerned. I mean, it's really, it's kind of like when, um, John Yates mentioned Jesus weeping um, over Jerusalem. And you remember that beautiful and, and, and haunting image of Jesus in Luke's gospel. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you know, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you have longed to gather you as a chick, as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. This, this, it's, you know, it's, uh, it's maternal. I mean, it's this, uh, it, it's this deep compassion um, that something might happen to him. And of course, this is the part again where it seems confusing. Um, how can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And again, that's what I kind of wonder about. But again, I, as as Lee, as you note, <laughs> we often fail to recognize the ways in which God has provided. And Brian, as you know, um, has provided with abundance. Um, for you and and for me, and and it's uh, it's more of the Gentile form of blessing in this one as opposed to the last one. And actually, the the word which is used, which means gives thanks, is is eucharizo. Uh, and you know what what bells does that set off as you think about that word eucharizo? You know, I give uh, I give thanks. What you know, we often call the Lord's Supper, Holy Communion, the Eucharist. We we give thanks. We we give thanks. Uh, we give thanks for uh, we give thanks for God's grace. Um, Mm-hmm. I mean, do you think they were like, oh, that, was, that started out as two loaves of bread? And yeah. Now looking, you know, the whole so that's a great point. I mean, often these, what's um, uh, like last week when we had that portion of uh, John 12 where the voice speaks from heaven and Jesus says, this is for you, not for me. Um, so I do think often these things are done so that you and I might see, um, that you and I might see. I mean, these are, Jesus doesn't need it, but we need it. Not only that feeding, but that, Revelation. Um, I think it's a great. I think that's a great point. Here's a this is a funny note. An old like medieval liturgy for the Eucharist. Yes. Where they're trying to like make sense of you know. Well, he's doing something Eucharistic here, so they they incorporate fish into it. And so it's like this is my body. This is my blood. It says this is my fish broken for. Oh, that's hilarious. It's just like it's cheesy. <laughs> it's so cheesy. Exactly. <laughs> Go like okay, that, that that's funny. Yeah. Then there's some wacky Episcopal churches that start serving salmon at, at their Eucharist. So, you know. Oh my gosh. Well, I mean, but you know, I mean, I hope it's not farm raised. Uh, that would just be terrible. Um, so hope they're woke enough uh, to give uh, sustainable, freshly caught. Um, so 
<laughs> yes. Ah, Tom, I may not have an answer, but go ahead. And immediately, he got into the boat with him. What, is there any significance Yeah, well, you know, one of the things we do talk about is that um, Mark is, he's, he's big on, he's big on uh, um, immediately. Uh, a, a couple of thoughts. I mean, one is the, um, and it's different here, but before, when Jesus sent them away and there was a haste, it was the realization of, a revolutionary sentiment there in the area and that Jesus wasn't going to be co-opted in that way. Uh, he wasn't going to be the, he was going to be a sacrificial lamb rather than a general. Um, this uh, immediately seems to speak more to the urgency of his mission than uh, than in this one, uh, revolutionary sentiment, the, the urgency, uh, the urgency of what he's doing. There is a note um, though uh, after, which we'll see when Jesus' encounter has, when he's basically accosted by the Pharisees, we'll hear that he departed from there. And there, there, there does seem to be a, basically a word of judgment in that. He departed from them. Um, he, he departed, it's, it's sort of like, you know, shaking the dust off in that. But I, th I think, and, and granted, um, I, I may be wrong, but I think immediately this just means the the uh, the importance of and the immediacy of his mission um, that there are that there's that there's work to be done um, here in that in that ten and the immediately of that. I've often wondered whether it's not just some verbal tick that Mark has as a yeah. writer, you know, because everybody's got it is in many ways phrases yeah. that they inject into their conversation all the time. Some are some are pretty unique to certain individuals, mm -hmm. but. Uh, does yeah. also make the whole thing seem to the narrative move faster. Yeah. Um, I don't know. No. I know we use just, you know, all the time. Mm -hmm. It's real sure. we don't we don't notice it. Yeah. And I think in, in Greek, you know, it's a, this is a short word. So, mm -hmm. But for us it's such a long word we stumble on it. Yeah, that's a that's a good note. And you really do I mean again it it makes it no less inerrant and authoritative, uh, but yeah, I mean I've I've appreciated the um, uh, not only I guess the ticks, and I think you're right. It's just like all of us uh, have phrases, and when people point it out to you, you're kind of embarrassed. You're like, "Oh, I, I didn't know I did that." <laughs> but I think there is a certain amount of verbal tick, but there's also you know a wonderful amount of um, artistry in this as well. And again, artistry not that changes the truth of it, uh, but but just like anything. I mean, if you really want to get something across, and you're like, "This is." life-saving, life-changing, life-altering, you're going to use all your skill in putting it together to communicate the truth. Um, and I think there's certainly a, a portion of that as well. Yes. And even in Genesis 3, now the serpent was more mm. cunning than any beast of the field. I mean, yes. It's, it's, it's a just a turn of phrase, of a sort of verbal punctuation, maybe. And that, who's to say whether that's really what's going on with Mark? But, mm -hmm. um, yeah. It's kind of like that. It's kind of like now yeah. this and now that. Yeah, immediately and at once. Yeah. Immediately and at once or throughout Mark's gospel. Where to go. It wasn't just reading. Yeah, yeah. But interestingly, um, like right after this, and then we're, we'll do the transfiguration, right after, you know, the Pharisees demand a sign. And, and again, going back to the original language, um, uh, when uh, the, 
it says they began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. Uh, basically, they're 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 costing him is is what they're doing. They're they're arguing uh, with them, and that at the very end of that it says, and he left them, got into the boat, and went to the other side. And there's a point where I think there's it's significantly saying. I mean, Jesus went to the other side. He left them, and he went to the other side. He went away. He went away from them. Um, uh, and again, with the with the with the, and he talks with the disciples in the boat about the leaven of the Pharisees. And of course, <laughs> again, maybe why they couldn't see things in the feeding of the 4,000. All they're thinking about is we only have one loaf. Um, uh, it was, I wish y'all could have heard it. It was hilarious. Um, uh, this guy in seminary preached, uh, and I only mentioned his weight because it just made, he knew exactly what he was doing. He's, this guy was probably 300 pounds and he was preaching on when Jesus sent the uh, apostles out and told him, you know, take no bread. And he's like, but what about lunch? Uh, that was one of his refrains throughout his, um, throughout his sermon. It's one of those I still remember to this day. Um, but what about lunch? Um, so the disciples, you know, Jesus is talking about the leaven of the Pharisees and they're saying, but what about lunch? Um, we only have, yeah, we want, only have one loaf. So this... Uh, and you know what? You could give me days, and I probably wouldn't uh, give it uh, full justice. But let's let's look now, uh, in a in a way maybe quicker than we should. But um, the bell will toll for us. Um, I, this is uh, this is what I was talking about. Um, let's uh, let's pick up in twenty two, Mark eight twenty two. And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man, and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see men, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened um, his eyes. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home, saying, Do not enter the village. I, I mentioned earlier in this miracle there is a certain commentary there's a certain commentary going on here because what happens right before this the disciples don't see um, they're 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 with Jesus and they're seeing and experiencing this and I just think isn't that a word we all need to hear <laughs> I um let me y'all are gonna feel really sad for me right now um, it's a tremendous blessing but I'm, I'm living now with my wife and my daughter uh, and it will shock you to say that they think I don't see anything clearly, um, that I'm slow um, to catch on to just about everything. Um, and not that I'm complaining, um, but I feel like they're a unit. Um, and they're always like, you know, don't you see? Don't you uh, don't you get it? Well, here's the decide. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, you know this, don't you? You're like, he speaks the truth. <laughs> not that they're ganging up on me, uh, but they just always seem to agree. Um, and maybe, maybe it's me, uh, but we see this, the, the disciples, the disciples don't see, uh, and yet here, um, through the power and the mercy of God, this man, this man sees, uh, and Jesus asked them now we're in this transition point. What are, and we're, we're in Caesarea Philippi, um, in many ways, uh, um, a center of pagan worship and and perceived Roman glory uh, and and here we're in the midst of that so there's a stark contrast here so here's um, 
you know, here's, here's, here's worldly power. I mean, you go to certain places, whether they be financial or military or what have you, and you kind of marvel. You're just like, man, this is really, this is really something. Um, and so they're in the midst of that, and Jesus says, who do you say that I am? What are, what are people saying? You know, of course, he begins, what are, what are people saying? And of course, we hear John the Baptist and Elijah and others, one of the prophets, but who do you say that I am? And of course, Peter answered him, you are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. And I think this would be one of those instances Jesus realizes how limited their understanding is. It's not the time for them to tell. Yes, Peter has made this essential um, uh, essential confession. And then... Um, and immediately after that, uh, picking up with Mark's, uh, I'm inserting immediately here, and he began to teach them. So right after this, I mean, immediately, right after this confession of Jesus as the Christ's recognition, he began to teach them because they, like you and me, uh, you've heard the old um, Joe God created us in his image, and we've been um, trying to return the favor since. Um, you know, we, we like to put our projections on God, what he should be like, the way that he should deliver, the way that he should um, minister. And so immediately Jesus begins to teach them that he must suffer many things uh, and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this, uh, he said this plainly. And the word which is translated plainly means confidently. Um, but what Jesus said this to them um, confidently. There was no equivocating. He was clear um, uh, about this uh, with them. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan, the, the same words uh, from the wilderness, for you are not setting your minds on the things of God, but on the things of man. And calling the crowds to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Can I say, um, not that I'm uh, gaining the whole world, but I, I would say those are words we need to hear every day. Those are words I need to hear every day. What, what does it profit you to gain the whole world and lose your soul? I think this time and the moment in the society we live in, that temptation is before us every single um, day to gain whatever we think will give us comfort and security. I'm saying it's not those people, it's me. Um, the necessity to hear that word day and day. What, what, what good is it um, to gain the whole world and lose your soul, to lose your relationships, to lose the people um, around you to lose your sense of peace uh, and, and life. Um, but whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Um, for what can a man give in return for a soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father and the holy angels. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. My question to you is, what would your emotional state be after hearing and experiencing this?
<laughs> I think I think dumbfounded is the perfect one. I mean, just bewildered, uh, dumbfounded. Uh, that that great word gobsmacked. Um, uh, t- totally. Um, I mean, imagine how rattled. Um, uh, how how rattled you'd see Jesus rebuking Peter and saying, "Get behind me, Satan!" Uh, with with force, um, saying those words, saying, "You know, it's great that you've been following me, but let me tell you what. Uh, let me tell you the way that I'm going to save and deliver the world. You're right. I am the Christ, and this is the way that I'm going to operate. And I'm actually going to call you into a life which is also sacrificial. And of course, you and I, uh, in in moments, can realize it's that sacrificial life that's actually beautiful and filling." But it's a, it, it, it's uh, it's sailing against the winds. That's for sure. Um, because, well, you know, here's one of the things, and this is not um, a profound revelation, but but I think the I think the hardest thing about sacrifice is it requires trust. And 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 faith. Uh, for us to sacrifice, it really does. It I mean that's that's faith and that's trust when we sacrifice. Um, that that really um, that really speaks to uh, faith and belief in our life when we're when we're ready and we trust um, the ability to to sacrifice because we do see that God will provide abundantly, <clears throat> but when we when we sacrifice, uh, not only is it you know the fear of sort of being left without or or. Uh, but I, I think also it's the fear of not just, yes, of losing something, but it's also the fear of change. Lord, if I sacrifice, what's it going to look like on the other side? Uh, and and as, uh, as, as time goes on, we become more and more comfortable with the familiar, don't we? Um, <laughs> and the idea of, of dramatic change is, can be pretty stinking terrifying to you and to me. I say all that because, again, very quickly, um, and we've got another round um, to go ahead and answer all the questions regarding Mark's gospel. But um, we have right after this the transfiguration. And and I, I think one of the things we see here, the transfiguration is a gift and a mercy and an encouragement for Jesus' followers. They're bewildered. I mean, they've, they've, they're on the mat. Um, they're, they're on the mat and they're getting a nine count. Um, they're, they're up, but barely um, after this. And how gracious is God, um, as Jesus is saying, look, we're going to set our face toward Jerusalem. I'm calling you to take up your cross and follow me as well. I am going to deliver, but it's going to be through sacrifice. And then wonderfully, thanks be to God, he gives this revelation um, to them. And I, and I would say that God gives to you and to me encouragements, encouragements along the way, uh, gifts uh, and and, and words of songs or hymns or scripture or, or, or images or um, relationships or you know, uh, little provisions to say, you know what, I'm real and I'm with you. Um, I'm real and, I'm, and I have splagnizomai. I'm moved with compassion um, for you. I will never leave you and I'll never forsake you. Uh, I, I'm in it and I am who I claim to be. Uh, and again, because we're, we're at time here, uh, this isn't enough, and we'll talk some more about this next time along with much more. But in the transfiguration, they're given what they need in the moment. And so that's what I would say. God gives us what we need in the moment. In the moment, they needed something profound. And basically what they see is the resurrection in some ways, we might argue. Jesus transfigured in a way which is 
clearly from beyond this world. We're, we're told that not only his, his garments, but his person shone with an otherworldly light. Um, uh, <laughs> um, uh, just this, this otherworldly light uh, emanated from them and they, and they see him they see him for who he is. It's like, all right, he said this, and it's like, all right, here's your encouragement. Here's your sustenance um, to continue on the road before you, this revelation. So let us uh, pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are, are moved from the core of your being with compassion towards us, and that that compassion comes from who you are uh, and your grace and your mercy rather than our performance. And we pray that, um, well, we give you thanks that you're patient with us. Uh, and we pray that you would continue um, to, open, uh, to open us um, in, in every way that we might hear you, that we might know the truth of who you are. And we give you thanks and praise that along the way, you give us those necessary assurances and encouragements. And I pray for each person here that you would do that in, in a way which is specific to them, uh, that you would give them that assurance of your truth, that assurance of who you are and your love and presence in their lives, and that you would encourage them in such a way that is so personal that they would be strengthened uh, and drawn to you. And all this I ask in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.